Welcome everyone to the first 2020 episode of Personalized. Uh, thank you so much for listening and tuning in to the start of what's going to be an amazing year. Um, as always, I'm your host, Vincent King, and this is Personalized. This is the Mike Gagne episode of Personalized. For those of you that don't know Mike Gagne, he is one of the founders of Asylum 94 Productions. And he is also the creator, the writer, the producer, and actually the main character of Boston Harbor Horror. He's doing an amazing job with Boston Harbor Horror, and I am so excited for where he's taking it for Season 2. Speaking of Season 2, the casting call will be out by the time this episode is released. So when you're done with this episode, if you feel like this is something you want to be a part of, I suggest going to the Asylum 94 website that you'll find in the show notes, along with the Twitter and any social media handles that we can provide for you. Um... So, one more thing. At the end of this episode, we have a small promo for Season 1 of Boston Harbor Horror. So, after the episode's done, please stick around, check it out, get a feel for it, and find it on all your podcast feeds. So, without further ado, let the episode begin. And welcome to 2020. So, to start this whole conversation off, I have a question. Um, it's actually been on my mind a lot today that I've been, uh, I guess you could say, semi-excited to ask you. But um, what's the biggest fucking fish you've seen working in the Coast Guard? <laughs> um, <clears throat> fish proper? Uh, probably uh, either a sunfish or more of the shark that we saw on Cape Cod Bay. Um, overall marine life. Um, the ship that I was on up out of Gloucester, uh, we would go and tuck into Provincetown Harbor, which is like the tip of the hook of Cape Cod. And pretty much going in there from offshore, you're always seeing whales jump out of the water right there. And sunfish are probably about like anywhere from like six to eight feet long. And I think the shark that we saw in Cape Cod Bay was probably about seven or eight feet long. You ever see any of them fight? No, no, no. We just pa- happened to pass the shark as we had. The funny thing was, is we had just finished doing cutter surface swimmer training. So we had a guy in the water swimming out to like a, a lifelike dummy to bring him back for training. And we got him back on board. We started steaming away and it was like, oh, look, there's a shark. <laughs> Good thing we got, got you out of the water when we did there. That's the one thing like about. Well, I mean, I do love the ocean scenery and being like even being remotely even near the, the ocean water, but um I like I have a fear of being anywhere in the water that I can't see what's around me. That's like literally one of my like <laughs> known fears is that I, I don't like water that I can't see in. Yeah, a lot of people are like that. <laughs> and it gets worse the further north that you get because you can't see quite as deep up here as you can down south. Like say like Florida or Georgia. I don't know how uh, Gulf of Mexico is. I've never been. I, this, that's one body of water on the east side. I haven't been on. What what you, what would you say is your favorite body of water? 
I don't know if I have a favorite. Like the Caribbean was dope because it was warm. <laughs> like our beaches up here maybe hit 70 degree water temp. Maybe 70 to two, 72. So um, how long have you actually been in the Coast Guard? Uh, 19 years as of September, this past September. Holy shit. No, I'm not going to lie. I'm not <laughs> expecting an answer to that one. That's crazy. That I joined when I was 19. You think that you think you'll want to retire with the Coast Guard or? Well, at this point, it'd be dumb not to. Uh, but for me, it's more along the lines of uh, if I don't advance to the next pay grade, I have to retire at 20 because 20 year is the cap for uh, for my rank, which is an E6. Is, is it possible to move up in rank or are you just at the highest you can climb right now? No, I mean, I can. It's just I've gotten all my sign off done. Like there's a there's a packet of. of things that we have to get signed off that we either know or we know how to do or whatever. Um, but then when you get to pay grades E7, 8, and 9, in order to advance, you have to take a service-wide exam. And that's where you compete via a 150-question test against everybody else in the Coast Guard that's trying to make the same rank and rate that you're trying to go for. And I think it was something like 500-some-odd people took the last test, and I scored 383. That sounds kind of frustrating. <laughs> Oh, it is. Well, you just, I mean, you just have to study. And the shitty part is you have to study some of the most like inane brain dead shit because that's the, those are the questions that'll get you or you have to dig into like a manual from that references something that you haven't done in 10 years as like an E4, you know, and then it's like really random, like minutiae stuff, like the width of an arrow on a potable water pipe. That was like, I think that was one of the questions. So it was a, some question I had was similar to that. So, you know, going way back, um, you know, first of all, uh, what got you into the Coast Guard and why the Coast Guard? Um, well, I've always liked being on the water and on the ocean. I grew up in a town called Bristol, Rhode Island, which is like five square miles in size, but it's surrounded by water on all three sides. So I was never more than like a 10 minute walk from the ocean for the first 19 years of my life. Um, and I've always, I was always fascinated with like the military and stuff like that. And I got, I was interested in going into the Navy initially and trying to go for the SEAL program because what 17 year old doesn't want to learn how to kill people 15 different ways because it makes you look like a badass. <clears throat> um, so I started looking into that and I was talking to a recruiter and at the time, like a lot of kids in Bristol, I I may or may not have utilized non-medicinal marijuana on a couple of occasions as a teenager. <laughs> <clears throat> so that being the case, um, you know, when you sign up for the for all four well, four of the five branches, when you sign up, they take you to a do your analysis right then and there. So I was like, all right, I need to clean my system out. You know, so I'm just going to stall this guy until my system's cleaned out. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was all gung-ho at first. And then, you know, he's like, all right, well, let's sign some paperwork. And I'm like, well, just give me some time to situate some things. And that turned into a couple of weeks because I don't know how long this stuff stayed in my system for. So I was trying to play it safe. So he kept bug bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. And finally, he gets me over to his office. And he says, so, like, you're gung-ho about this. Like, why are you, like, so... Why are you getting all wishy-washy on me and everything? And I said, okay, well, to be brutally honest, you know, I smoke pot and I'm trying to make sure that my system's clean before I sign anything. That way I can, you know, pass the year analysis and there won't be any issues. 
He's like, oh man, why didn't right. you tell me? I can give you a pill that'll flush your system out right before the test. <laughs> and I was like, all right, pump the brakes. I'm done. Nope, nope, nope. This, this is fucking shady. Like, I may be only 17. I am not world traveled or world weary or anything like that. But mm -hmm. just something about that just screams fucking shady. So I was like, you know what, man? I'm all set. I'm just going to move on with my life. I'm going to go elsewhere. Uh, and then fast forward a couple months, I find out that my girlfriend's pregnant. Still 17, by the way. So pregnant. Wow. I'm fucking off in high school because I don't care. And my high school is a joke anyways. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> the school I went to that I ended up going to and dropping out of was just, you know, a dumpster fire of a high school back in the 90s. So fast forward to now I'm 18. I've got a kid. I'm repeating my senior year of high school. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do it myself? I try to go into a, a diploma plus program, which is something where you can just take the classes that you need to graduate. And then, then you can go about your day, you know, instead of running like a full, full schedule. Cause I only needed like three classes in order to graduate my second senior year. But my, Guidance counselor didn't want none of it. And he says, no, finish, finish out the year with a full schedule. I'm like, the hell with this. So <clears throat> I talked to my mother and I'm like, mom, can you sign me out? I need to get my GED because, you know, I've got a kid now. I need to start working on the whole adult aspect of life. So she signs me out. I get my GED in like three weeks and I start working full time at a chair factory in downtown Warren, Rhode Island. And I slough away there, fucking hating life. You know, because I'm just sitting there, you know, with my back hunched over, sanding out grooves in like the bowels of wooden chairs. And then just when, I, when it's all smoothed out, put it aside, go, go to the next one. And it was just, it's just for like seven and a quarter an hour. So I'm like, this is bullshit. But my dad, uh, his, his uh, fiance at the time, her brother was an aviation guy in the Coast Guard. So I guess my dad was talking to him. So he's like, well, I'll send Mike a bunch of this stuff and have him take a look at it. So I looked at it. I talked to a recruiter and like, this is like the, the big difference of night and day, at least back in, you know, early 2000 between a branch, like, you know, big military branch, like Navy and then small small military branch, like the Coast Guard. Every time I saw the Navy guy, homeboys in like, dress winter blues with the slacks and the tie and the button shirt and the, you know, the, the ribbons and the medals and all the hoopla on his chest and shit showing up looking like mad professional. My coast guard recruiter shows up to my house wearing a recruiting t-shirt, black or Navy blue cargo shorts and fucking Tiva sandals. Hey, hey, he sounds, he sounds ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Complete like night and day difference. So we talk about it. He gives me the lowdown. Like, this is what you're probably looking at. This is what's going on, you know? And he's like, you know, so you smoke pot. All right. Well, you, you don't, you actually don't do your analysis until you get to Cape May, which is where our boot camp is. And he's like, make sure your system's clean before you go down. And you'll be fine. And I'm like, all right, cool. So sign the paperwork, got a date, clean my system out, flew down to Cape May, joined the coast guard, September 4th, 2000. That's awesome. So, um, Long road for a very short, short answer. <laughs> <laughs> Navy was crazy. I went in the Coast Guard to stay on the water. And, and also because, you know, 90% of the Coast Guard units 
are contained within the continental United States. Whereas 90% of baby units are in like five cities in the United States and then 50,000 places abroad. Mm -hmm. You wanted to make sure you were close to home. Exactly. I wanted to stay close to my daughter, Shane. And, um, and yeah, she was with her mother and her mother and I, uh, did not see eye to eye and failed to ever see eye to eye for the next 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. So, um, so, <clears throat> you know, you said you have a, you know, you're married now. Is this the same wife that you were married to when you, um, you know, well, it wouldn't be if you, if you already said that you were having issues with her. Yeah, no, um, Shannon and I's relationship didn't outlast the pregnancy. Um, we split up before she gave birth, and then I got married uh, to another woman a few years later, someone I had met at my first unit up in Gloucester, and then um, and that fizzled out after a couple of years, and then I met my current wife, Jen, when I was stationed in New Hampshire in 2006 um, at a nightclub in Providence, and kind of inherited her two children. So very much, you know, the post 21st century mixed family where there's three kids and, you know, they're not and they're just from two different sets of parents. I, I understand that. So um, how does your how's your you know, how does your current wife deal with, uh, you know, um, Coast Guard officer turned podcast creator? <laughs> how does she deal with all the all the hectic scheduling? Well, <clears throat> the uh, the Coast Guard side of things, I mean, I, I gave We've been lucky because I've been at mostly small boat stations since we've been together. Um, this is the third small boat station that I've been at since we've been together. And I've, always, I've only been on one ship, and the ship was only 110 feet long. So we were only gone for like a week at most. So she hasn't, she's ha hasn't had to deal with like the long extended absences. Um, I managed to get on one of those types of ships early in my career. Uh, I did two years of that, and then I haven't had to worry about going back because I managed to get what I needed out of being on a vessel that size and then worked my way around, you know, the other different job requirements, I guess you could say. That's awesome. So, um, <clears throat> she, you know, and, uh, she's she's never had any issue with, um, you know, with, I guess, you know, with the whole uh, you going out risking your limb on the water <laughs> for other people. No, she's been she's been pretty cool with it. Um, you know, it it's not like I spent a lot of time chasing drug smugglers. It's mostly search and rescue and uh, recreational boating safety and uh, fisheries boardings. Um, you know, boarding the big fishing boats that you that that, that you'll see come out. Um, so the Coast Guard side of things, the only thing that's driven her nuts on occasion has just been, you know having to have a very flexible schedule in comparison to other jobs where I could get a call where I've gotten calls in the middle of the night where I've either had to deal with something over the phone or I've had to get up and go. Uh, I mean, I got recalled to my ship for search and rescue cases up in Gloucester twice and it's a 90 minute drive from my house. So, and she, I mean, she's been fine with it. The, the coast guard side of it hasn't been too challenging. I want to say, I think it's more, it, it's been, it's been managing the different personalities of the different kids. It's always like the kids stuff has always been the most difficult thing for us to handle, especially considering that we both had children young. She had her son at 16, um, and then turned 17. You know, I had my daughter at night at 18, 
you know, so like my daughter right now is 20 years, is going to be 20 years old, uh, next Monday. And my, uh, my stepson just turned 18 back in March and my stepdaughter, my daughter, my younger daughter turns 16 next month. So they're all on their way out. Like by, by the time Jen hits 40, all, all of our children will be of at least of age and hopefully off in the world being junior adults out in the world. <laughs> oh, you're somehow about to have an empty house or empty nest, as they say. Are you, uh, are you excited for that? I can tell you, I can tell you that like, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I'm, let's see my little, I think I want to say my little brother who lives, who lived with my mom and my stepdad, um, when I moved here in Alabama sometime, uh, like Oh eight Oh nine, um, he finally left the nest with his wife and now his son. And I've been, you know, technically out of the nest probably a year or two now, um, for the most part living on my own. And like, I could, I've seen how both sets of parents have, uh, coped with it. My mom, uh, has grown fond with her animals, her two dogs that she loves dearly. And, uh, my dad has, has found uh, a motorcycle to, that he loves and treasures <laughs> to the point where it's like going to the shop is the one thing I'm nervous to go around. I'm like, make sure to go around the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in regards to that for us, I mean, the podcasting has really, it's, it's really taken off and Jen has really, really gotten into it. Um, so I think that would be, that'll be uh, beneficial as far as something to keep us occupied. Um, but our, our, our best friends are like what we jokingly refer to as our hetero life mates, Boot and Amy. They're also involved with the podcast stuff. Um, and uh, they just moved in with, with us uh, a couple months ago. So we've always had friends around. So like having like an empty house was never something that we were really worried about. And we're both actually really stoked about the concept of being young enough to still like enjoy life to a certain degree. And also that our kids are grown and off doing their own thing at the same time. Cause that's the messed up thing is neither one of us actually wanted children when we were kids or when we were teenagers and we just ended up with them. <laughs> hey, uh, I've, you know, I, I'm not a parent, so I can't, I'm not, I can't speak for it, but, um, you know, especially lately now that I've gotten older and, um, you know, Brendan and I, we have friends that have kids and it, it, it kind of hits us to a point, you know, especially like if we're hanging out with them, we'll leave. And the first, you know, one of the sometimes first conversations we'll have is, you know, how, what we'll do in that scenario, if we have a kid or, or, um, about just kids in general. So it, it I've heard that like, you know, when you have one, it kind of, it changes your, uh, your whole perspective on like just life things in general. Like somebody has said in an interview I was listening to earlier today that, you know, she doesn't like horror movies because uh, now that she has kids, all she pictures is like her kid being in any horror situation. And it like it, it drives her insane. Yeah. Um, it It's tough to say because it's not like I had much of an outlook on life. Like having Shane at 18 kind of like mm -hmm. shotgunned me into the concept of adult responsibility. And because I was still recovering from the trauma of growing up with an alcoholic father, uh, there was, um, you know, there, there was a lot of stuff going around, going on in my head at 19 years of age. Cause here I have, I've, I got a kid who's almost one, you know, I'm 
joining the military. I'm going out on my own. I'm going to be living on my own. I'm going to be responsible for everything. I'm not going to have mom or dad around to do anything or to, at the time, think I could that, that was going to help me with anything. So it was a big shock to the system. And I've kind of driven by Braille through the first, like, say, five to eight years of, of adulthood trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing and how I'm supposed to do all these things. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, hey, look, I got to give it to you, man. I mean, you're in the Coast Guard. You, you got you got you working on getting your, your, your kids relationship back. You know, you you're married. You, you got your podcasting, you know, building up. I mean, you, you're doing good out there, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So, you know, and to to circle back to the big to the big subject, uh, uh, podcasting. How how did you go from Coast Guard to podcast like that is I mean, it. It's really cool because, you know, I could see or, you know, now that I, I you know, I've known you, but I can I can especially with Boston Harbor, I can see it kind of coming out in the show a little bit. Um, but uh, it's it's just like, you know, when I first heard of Boston and went and listened to her stuff, it's one of those things where I never expect this guy to actually really be in the Coast Guard. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's see. There's like so many different things that kind of factor into it. Like, I'm kind of an oddball within, I wouldn't say the military itself, but in my, like, job specialty rating, being a bosun's mate, um, bosun mates are, they're the boat drivers of the Coast Guard, they're the ship drivers of the Coast Guard, it's the only enlisted job specialty that is actually eligible to get command positions, like, there's units, like the unit I'm at right now, where there's no officers, like, our, our... Our CO or our commanding officer is called an officer in charge, and he's an E8. He's a enlist, you know, a senior chief petty officer. Bosomate's the only rating that can do that. So it tends to be a lot of you get a lot of the what do you call them? I don't want to say like manly men or alpha males because I fucking hate both of those terms with a burning passion. But you get a lot of the the guys that are just like you know drive boats, play, you know, watch football, drink beer, you know, that, you know, that just that atypical working class American kind of thing. So, so you know, Alabama, <laughs> you sure, sure. Uh, I mean, my, my officer in charge is from Mississippi. So, mm-hmm. um, the thing with it though, is I'm a fucking nerd, like giant nerd. I've been a nerd since, you know, I was watching the thriller video at five years old and mm-hmm. watch it and, you know, making lightsabers out of cardboard that my mom would bring home from her x-ray tech job because I loved Star <laughs> Wars, you know, just all sorts of shit like that. So normally people attri- in the military, people attribute the, the nerdy ones, the geeky ones, you know, the people that are into like Comic-Con and comic books and science fiction and stuff like that. They're usually the guys that are working on electronic systems. You know your your electronics technicians, your information technology guys, your i your uh, you know all your computer people. They fit that mold, and I'm kind of out a step outside of that because I played Dungeons and Dragons. You know I I I game mastered my first RPG with some friends when I was 12 years old, and it was Star Wars. You know, so the concept of like creative writing and storytelling and stuff like that has always been with me at a young age. And I just never really did with it, 
did anything with it outside of like my personal friend group. So this would be, you know, creating this show and talking to people and getting voice actors and, and, and doing the whole podcast thing, you know, is the first time I've taken anything that I've personally created in some way, shape or form and put it out there for the world to see as opposed to, you know, just my friends around the table with a bunch of dice. Um, so as far as like the podcasting setup, like I've always been big into sci-fi. I've always been big into horror. You know, I watched the thing. I would, you know, I watched the alien movies before I hit puberty. You know, and predator movies, all that stuff. I saw that all while I was, you know, still technically a child. You know, and I thought they were the greatest things ever. Um. So, I've always been interested in like the sci-fi and the horror and the stuff like that. So then, you know, I did a lot of the storytelling with, you know. DMing Dungeons and Dragons because I got into D and D in 2010, but I was you know I was a game master for friends for Star Wars throughout all of high school and a little bit my first couple of years of being in the Coast Guard I was doing Star Wars with friends when I would go back home. Um, as far as the podcasting thing goes, I always would listen to music driving to and from work because up until up until Jen and I got together and we got stationed in Boston, my commute was never more than like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So then I get stationed in Boston, and we try to find a place to live. We end up buying a house about 30 minutes south, or uh, 30 minutes, 30 miles south. 30 miles in Boston talk is about an hour's worth of driving. <laughs> <laughs> and that's on a highway. So where I was stationed, uh, it was a town called Hull, and it was an hour drive to or from work. And in order to not be bogged down in Boston bullshit, I had to. I was up at like 5 a.m. and leaving by 5.30 to make sure I was at the station before 7. For a 48-mile drive. So, Whew. that being the case, you know, after what, you know, especially like driving home and you're just, you've had like a long day at work or a long duty period because I'd worked like two days with overnights in a row and then drive home. You know, and music just turns into white noise. So I started listening to like audiobooks and shit like that off and on. So then fast forward to about 2014. Yeah, I feel you. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're going to say something and you got cut uh, off. I would say, yeah, I, I feel you on that, on the music turning to white noise. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where uh, every now and then it's good. Um, even though like, you know, like I said before, a thousand times, it's like, it's a creative tool for me is music. But, um, most of the time, if, especially if I'm driving somewhere, I like to listen to some, some form of podcast or audio drama, depending on what's on my queue, uh, yeah. way easier than as far as music. Yeah. So, you know, then I get stationed up in Gloucester. Now that's, that's 93 miles away and it's an hour and a half drive on a good day. Usually it was about an hour 45 to work. And it was like a two hour and 25 minute drive home at the end of the day. So my friends Boot and Amy, the ones that are living with us now and our fellow podcaster, uh, podcast crew, they were really big. And well, and my daughter, Shane, all three of them are really big in this welcome to Night Vale. So they're always talking about welcome to Night Vale, welcome to Night Vale, welcome to Night Vale. I'm like, you know what? Let me take a look. Let me see what this is all about. So I started listening to him like, this is pretty neat. This is like, you know, NPR in the Twilight Zone. This is wild. You know, so I so I've downloaded Podbean and I start looking up other stuff on there, mostly of like horror and sci-fi, and you know, and I start hear you know reading other things like um, I used to read Crack.com a lot, so I would listen to the Unpopular Opinion 
uh, podcast that Adam Todd Brown did. And it was hilarious. And I, you know, learned about new comedians that don't ever come to the East Coast, so I'll never actually see them live, but they're still fun to follow on Twitter. Um, uh, so I started listening to more and more podcasts, and then, you know, being underway on the ship, you know, and getting qualified uh, as a tech watch officer, which means that for a four-hour shift, you're the top dog. You're the guy that's on the bridge of the boat, and you're in charge of the, the all the decision-making for the ship. You know, the only person who technically outranks you, quote-unquote, at that point is the captain. So I was always on mid-watch, which was from midnight to four in the morning and then noon to four in the afternoon. So when you're on the bridge in Cape Cod Bay in the middle of the night and there's nothing going on, we were allowed to listen to music. I started listening to more and more podcasts and usually the, the guy that was standing the, uh, the navigation watch with me, they were usually into it too. So I'd already had I'd had the idea for Boston Horror in my head for like the longest time, and I was trying to write a book. And I'm I'm a plotter when it comes to trying to put something together, and I think a lot of it just has to do with how I would build adventures for and campaigns for Star Wars and D and D games. So I had to like have this whole like layout of shit going on, and doing that while trying to write it and trying to turn that into a book, and just finding way too many resources and just being completely overwhelmed by the concept and the process. It just ended up just like sitting in a notebook in my bag for years. But then I listened to Alice isn't dead. And uh, have you, uh, have you listened to Alice isn't dead or no? Um, I, I've started it. Uh, I'm so I'm, I'm a very picky podcast listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember if, if I wasn't able to finish it before whatever, but I know I've started it. I know, I know it's got a really good fan base and I know it's a really good story. It just has not uh, made its way further into my queue with everything yeah, else. No, I hear you. Um, I stumbled across it because they're, they're part of the night veil vale squad and it was billed as whore. So I'm like, all right, I'll check this out. So the whole concept of her just driving along on a truck and, talking on the CB radio and that was kind of like the vehicle for the show was like because that was the only audio in the first like one or two seasons was legitimately her talking to CB radio looking for her wife and I'm like well I could do something like that with this Boston Horror thing you know it wouldn't I could make it an audio an audio thing and I could just buy a personal recorder and I could do it all by myself you know so if I think it's in the thought process in the back of my head was so if it sucks I wouldn't have told anybody about it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so nobody would have known that I had done, I had attempted to do this and failed miserably. And I mean, there mm-hmm. might have been some depression talking there. Just saying. Um, but I did. I eventually and told a couple of my friends, my friend Boot and our friend Sean, about, it, and they're like, "Dude, that's awesome! We should totally make a podcast." You know, I've been thinking about this idea, and we, and I've been working with my friend Corey, and we've been talking about doing this podcast. And I'm like, "All right." So it just kind of snowballed from there. And, you know, so, and that was in like 2015, like 2015, 2016, somewhere around there is when we started doing like regular meetups in my kitchen. And, you know, I was really starting to get into like fleshing out, okay, what's the story? What's the overall story going to be? What's the ending going to be? How am I going to get to that ending? And it just kind of turned into what it turned into. And now we have this ad hoc production company with a show with nine episodes and, you know, like the pod tales thing was a mind blowing event. And like, I, I was just, and just to like meet, 
the the craziest thing about all. Well, anyways, that's how I got into it. And I, I'm gonna the rambling and ranting and you know bouncing all over the timeline. So yeah, that's how uh, that's how I went from 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 nerd to dad to coasty to podcaster in the course of like 25 years. <laughs> and that's how we get the the great Boston Harbor horror and Asylum 94. Yep. So, can you tell us about uh, Asylum? Like, what? Like, who? What? And who is behind Asylum ninety four? So, Asylum ninety four. We we were, we started calling our house the Asylum because it seemed mm-hmm. like us and our kids and all of our friends were all mental cases, anyways. And <laughs> and our house, like, like we all grew up in Rhode Island, and where we live in Mass is we're not quite at Cape Cod, but we're almost there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we had all the, all these friends that we had had in the Rhode Island area. And that being the case, you know, we were just far enough where like the Rhode Island mentality is if it's more than 20, if it's more than a 20 minute drive, it's relatively a day trip. So you have to pack a lunch, possibly bring a jacket in case it gets cold at night. Like it turns into like a whole ordeal if a Rhode Islander has to drive more than 20 minutes somewhere. It sounds like my fiance every time she leaves the house. Let me get like three bags. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up becoming this kind of like sanctuary where all of our friends would at, at various moments like, hey, man, I'm just I'm dealing with some shit. Can I just like come over? And then they come over and then they would stay for like three days. You know, they crash on the couch or in a spare bed or, you know, they'd go out, they'd, they'd go to the grocery store with my wife and, you know, it's like, hey, what do you guys want to do for dinner? I'll go buy dinner or I'll go make dinner. So not only were we just a whole bunch of basket cases living in this in this rando house in eastern Massachusetts, like all of our friends that were just like, I can't take life right now. I need to escape. Can I come and hang out with you guys for a few days? We're like, sure, come on down. You know, that's how we ended up. We were first referred to as a halfway house. And then that that just didn't have the right connotation. But the concept of asylum, you know, granting asylum to somebody who's in need of help just had a better ring to it. So that's how we started calling the house the asylum, you know. And, you know, I would say 60% our house number and 40% because I'm a Star Wars geek. 94 just kind of came into play because I would jokingly refer to the house as Docking Bay 94 because our address <laughs> has 94 in it. Um, so we ended up starting calling it Asylum 90. And so I think it was Sean, it was Sean or Corey, said, let's call it Asylum 94 Productions. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm down. So that's where we got the name. Um, as far as the crew... Uh, it started out as me, Boot, Amy, Corey, and Sean. And and then Sean had a lot of personal life things going on. And then Corey had some personal life things going on and ended up moving out to Central Mass. So Corey's not too involved with the podcast stuff. He's trying to work on some of his storytelling in a written form uh, while he takes care of things in the in the western part of the state. And... Sean's as in as he can be with all the craziness that he's dealing with. So it's it's come back to myself, Boot and Amy. But during that transitional period, Jen has taken a very my wife Jen has taken up a very big, big, big role in this. She took charge uh, especially when we applied for and got accepted to Podtails. It's like something 
something sparked in her where now she's reading scripts and critiquing and editing them and then coming up with ideas to like, oh, you should, well, how about you do this? You know, so we ended up, she ended up giving herself the name the tidbit mistress because she would, (laughs) she would think of these little creative tidbits to add into a script or a scene or something like that, that Mm -hmm. would just like turn it over and like, dude, that's an awesome idea. And she started doing that. And with the pod tales thing, she really got big into like, you know, she worked with our friend Katie, who's a graphic designer from uh, Central Mass, and started creating logos and banners. And then went out and got a cricket. And then Amy went out and bought a cricket machine. And then Jen went to town learning how that thing works and started pumping out sticker after sticker after sticker after sticker. Like, but all like a, a good majority of the stuff that we had at our table at Podtails was stuff that Jen and Amy had made in my kitchen with a cricket machine, an iron, and T-shirts and vinyl. That is awesome. That's a that's I I'm so glad that people get to hear that. That is that is a cool backstory on that. Yeah, and to top it off, Jen has like we jokingly refer to her now as the boss, but she's really the boss because she's constantly <laughs> referring to Amy and I as her writers and trying to mm. light a fire under our asses because she's like, hey. I need you guys to finish writing these scripts so we can edit them and send them out for the casting call, especially with Amy's show, Wander, which is supposed to be coming in early oh, 2020. I'm, you best believe I was going to ask you about that. That was one of the <laughs> I definitely, uh, I am in, you know, I'm, and like I said, when we first started talking, I'm very excited uh, for, I think I stumbled upon it on Twitter somewhere. Um, the, the logo is fucking awesome. The idea for it's awesome. Uh, I'm I'm overall excited for this, and I don't I have we've heard we just recently heard for the listeners that don't know, um, there was a teaser released for I believe Pod Tales. Hmm. Hmm. It was just a little um, voiceover that Amy did for the show. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it could be heard on the Boston Horror feed for mm-hmm. those of you that uh, are still trying to get subscribed to it. Yep. So I yeah, am so, so excited for this. <laughs> a lot of people are. Like, uh, was it Jeffrey Craner and um, Joseph Fink from Night Vale apparently came by our table and said, uh, I guess they listened to it and they, and they took a couple of our cards and were like, they were they were both like, we're, we really like this Wander idea. We can't wait to hear it when it comes out. Mm-hmm. And Boot and Amy, being ginormous Night Vale fans, nearly lost their shit. It was, it was so awesome <laughs> to hear about afterwards. Um, so... For the listeners, uh, for those that they don't know, can you kind of go in uh, uh, without, you know, too many spoiler details? What is WonderPod and what could they have looked forward to for next year's? So the concept behind Wander is that it's a it's like a, a, a ghost smartphone app. It shows up on people's phones at random times and it's like it's like a Google Maps or a geocaching app. Uh, my friend Sean described it as just like Pokemon Go, except you die. Uh so the whole concept behind it is that you it, is you use it like a map or a geocaching app, and you go on like a little journey, and it's supposed to show you sites, but anybody who uses it somehow mysteriously dies, and then the app erases itself from the phone, so there's no proof that it was ever there. So the story follows a young woman named Max who learns about this app and starts looking into mysterious deaths that seem to be related to this one thing that keeps popping up from time to time. And it's, again, it's, it's one, it's 100% written by, by Amy McNally. 
Um, you can find her at Wanderpod, W-N-D-R-P-D, uh, P-D on Twitter. Uh, I believe we have a Facebook page for it. It should be up there as well. Uh, the casting calls finished, I believe. So right now we're in the process of collecting audio from all the voice actors, um, that have decided that have, you know, volunteered their voices to the project and then uh, we'll be putting it together. So, so, um, when you say it's completed, have you, so you meaning, have you already casted everybody? I believe so. Yes. I'm not the, I'm not the, the, I'm not the person to talk (laughs) to about it. Um, I've been kind of like a staff writer helping out with like a couple of things here and there. Uh, you know, I, I, I took what she wrote and, you know, turned it into a script format, but with the exception of like the core idea, which was kind of an amalgamation of Jen boot, Amy and I, Amy's done all of the writing. She wrote like the first, like after we came up with this idea on like a Sunday going to Ikea by the, the next weekend that her and boot came over the house, she had written like a half a season's worth in one week at, while she was at work. That, that's, that's awesome. I, yeah. I, um, um, I think the quickest I burned out is, um, I'm right. I want to say maybe a month or so. Uh, could be a little, a little more, a little less. Um, for the first, first full season of dancing, and now like, I've trying to put a dent in what I can in season two with everything else I have going on. So, mm. I, I, power to people that are writing way faster than what I used to be able to do. Yeah, she just like plowed through it. Like the first six months, like she had, because she worked at a. Uh, in a at a warehouse for a pharmacy company, she couldn't keep like notebooks with her, like she couldn't carry anything that could be considered stock, you know, because you know loss prevention and all that kind of bullshit. So she would just tear off pieces of paper, or take printer paper and stuff, and fold it into quarters and write on these quarters. So at, right now, with two seasons worth of her, you know, her rough draft writing, she has one of those recipe books that's bursting at the seams. Because of all the paper stuffed in it of that size. <laughs> She's That's probably got awesome. like three or four of those like those small Moleskine notebooks. She's probably got three or four of those worth written down on these pieces of paper and organized and tucked into this little uh, receipt organizer thing. So um, besides Wonder, what else next year do you think Asylum 94 has uh, or can be talked about for the listeners? Well... Uh, so, first season of Boston Harbor Horror is going to be 16 episodes long. Uh, episode mm-hmm. 10 comes out on November 15th. And uh, I just finished writing, and me, myself, and Jen have finished doing the first round of edits on those scripts for season two. That's so, awesome. I've uh, actually, it was actually just today that I finished applying all those edits to the. Uh, to the digital scripts and I've exported them all and I'm going to do one final round of edits, probably a couple of read throughs. And then there'll probably be a casting call. Hopefully I would like to think December 1st, I'll put out a casting call, but there's, there's things in the works for getting a Patreon set up for the shows and for, uh, for a 94 as well as, uh, setting up an Indiegogo because if I'm going to ask if, I'm going to put out another casting call for my show for a second season. I want to give something back to the actors and even back, see if I can even back pay everyone who volunteered 
for the uh, for the first season uh, because I, I couldn't have done it without him. And it was just like this huge, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like just this flood of responses when I first released the casting call on Twitter last year where I had all these people that were interested in doing it. And I, it just, it blew my mind that so many people are like, yeah, this seems interesting. I want to, I want to be a part of this. And I was just like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty great when you start getting, um, all the, uh, all the auditions in it. I remember like when, when, so like when we put out, for example, um, I guess I'll even use Unlucky Charm, but dancing as well. But like when we did Unlucky Charm, that was the first time I've been a part of production with something that I had been a part of, you know, and every time we get an email notification, uh, you know, about audition, I would hit up Eli, my co-writer and uh, co-director and uh, mentor who has got me into the podcast and stuff. I'd hit him up every time and I would just be like, we got another audition. I can't wait to listen. Have you listened? And like for the fifth hundredth time, he would just say, yeah, I'll listen to it when we get a chance. You know, we still have like a month before we're even done with it, right? Like, yeah, but it's a, it's so a voice for, for Sam or a voice for Aaron. I'm so excited every time that happened. And then, you know, same thing with, with, with dancing, you know, um, especially because dancing uh, is something that it, it means a lot to me from, from different things and personal things in my life to the point where like hearing these characters and these people um, come to life, it, 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 it it brings tears to my eyes, you know, yeah. knowing that this is something I created and, and now they're, they're, they're real, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their lines and they're doing their actions. Yeah. I, I know exactly how you feel. Like, I think it was within the first day that I put it out and I had gotten like, I got excited because I, I had 15 emails in my inbox from people excited about it. And then like mm-hmm. the next day, like I got, I got an email from this gentleman and I nearly shit myself when I found, when I noticed that there was like an IMDb link in his email <laughs> for some reason. So I'm like, what the hell? So I click on it and like this dude's been on like Law and Order and mm-hmm. Elementary and he did voice work for like Grand Theft Auto Vice City and you know, and then fast forward a few months realizing, holy shit, this guy's been in like all of the coolest audio dramas that have come out in the past two years. And it was Graham mm-hmm. Rowan. Um, I'm not sure if you're from like somebody made a joke. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. So I'm sorry. Uh, now, um, he got cast, right? Yes, yes. He plays he plays the the primary antagonist in Boston Harbor Horror, Lucas Miles. Okay, so we've I think, um, so uh, we've only just heard his name currently from release episodes uh so far right um nope i nope. know he was in episode one was he yeah when they go Shit, to the no. island when 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 professor alvarez and alex Devereux go to the island on the ferry to check out the dig site they talk to lucas miles who's the dig oh okay oh shit okay i see okay, that real I was deep thinking. powerful voice that's that's uh that's graham playing that character and then finding out that like dude's been in like 60 different shows like it's like he's been in as many shows as like when i take a screenshot of like my himalaya app on my phone and to to send people for like this is what i've been listening to and like 12 pictures later like that's that's what his that's what his podcast resume looks like This guy has been in like some of the in like all like these great like sci-fi horror audio drama podcasts, and it's like, and this dude 
decided to take a chance with me. Whoa. Fucking whoa, man. Yeah, I've I find that I've found that like working with voice actors and actresses, a lot of the like um I wouldn't say the easiest ones to to as far as you know work with or or I mean they're they're all amazing to work with, but like some of the 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 most memorable ones and the most amazing ones that have been the ones that like they're they've never done acting before and they're like I want to try acting but I I wanted to start somewhere so I wanted to do voice acting and they nail their fucking roles they they yeah. fucking demolish them uh you know Bobby uh in dancing um without saying too many spoilers he's 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 the he's the reason why dancing is the thing and he's the bully uh in the season one and you know when like jesse's audition for for bobby it was it was it was such phenomenal like i you know and it was just like a crazy thing hearing how he did them and then finding out you know yeah man this is my first one i'm like there's no way there's no way this is your first one you've ever acted in yeah he is too real for this that's awesome so it's it's like I said it it's it, it's something special when when it when it all falls into to place like that. Yeah, I will say this among your cast though. I mean, you have a great cast, and I'm not. Let me. I guess I could go ahead and say Stephanie. I need to go ahead and let her have her moment in the spotlight. Oh hell yeah. Uh, uh, your agent. Um, uh, forgive me. Is it Stone? Uh, yeah, Agent Carrie Stone, the one that works. Yeah, with, uh, works with Alex after episode three. Yeah, she sounds like she does not want to be fucked with ever. <laughs> oh so yeah, crazy. oh yeah. Alex, Alex is an amazing human being, and I ho- owe her so much at this point because she was a last minute recast. So when I put the uh, when I put the casting call out, I received an email from uh, from a voice actor named Sarah Ruth Thomas, who was also a totally amazing human being. Don't get me wrong by any means. You know, so I had established my cast, I had sent out scripts, I had given deadlines, you know, and stuff started rolling in, and I noticed I hadn't gotten anything from Sarah for a while. So I'm like, hey, Sarah, what's going on? Is everything all right? Like, and she's, a, she's like, a legit pro voice actor, not to put down anybody else, but, like, that's literally, that's, that is her profession, is she does that. That's, that's how she, that's how she makes a living, that's how she supports her, her, her everything. So she's like, look, I'm sorry, I meant to reach out, but, you know, I just have so many other paid projects that I need to work on right now. And I'm like, hey, I under, I completely understand. Thank you so much for reaching out. So it's like, all right, shit, now I got to scramble for a main character that's literally in from episodes 3 to 16. So I need to get, so I'm like, emergency cast a call. Alex hits me up, sends me, sends me uh, her voice, and I'm like, she's in. She's in, and she was a powerhouse. She had pumped out, like, the first, like, seven episodes in, like, a month and a half. So that way I could make my release date and have a couple in the can ready to go, you know, by, like, May and June. And I'm like, oh, Alex, you're a lifesaver. <laughs> she she deserves that title for sure because, like I said, she she does perfectly on that agent role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like every time I hear, I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. Like <laughs> a, this might sound, uh, I would say, uh, I would say, I wouldn't say far fetched, but uh, this, 
when I first heard her voice, I'm like, okay, is she really an agent? Like, is this real? I'm, I know this may sound like very, uh, uh, I don't even know to begin the term for it, but I'm pretty sure that made people cringe hearing that. But that's honestly, when I heard her act that role, that was exactly my first impression. Like, there's there's no way she does not do this on her spare time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, she, she does. Apparently, she has like a, a quite a range of voices. Uh, she was telling me that uh, she occasionally, you know, uh, busts her family's chops by doing different voices because she's got such a she's got such a varied range with it. Um, you can also hear she's on the Zoo podcast as well. If you haven't heard that, if you like cryptid shit, that's that's another great one. And by another great squad that I met, uh, they're cool people. Um, yeah. Um. Uh, Chris. Uh, Chris Casey. Um, I believe he's in the zoo podcast as well. He's a, he's a, he's a major character for the dancing series. And, oh, um, nice. so, uh, I want to circle back to something. Um, I, I missed the mark on that, but, uh, it, I feel like I would go amiss if I don't ask you this, but, uh, we, you know, we had talked about horror movies a while back and mm -hmm. I really want to ask, how do you feel about movies such as jaws and 47 meters down and open waters. Uh, well, let's see. I gotta think. <laughs> well, Jaws is a fucking classic. Like, you're, there's, there, mm. there's nigh a bad thing you can say about Jaws. Um, I don't think I've seen Forty Seven Meters Down, and I can't remember if Open Water is, is the one with the more recent one that came out. I think that's the one where it's like the surfer, the surfer lady. Who gets like stranded on a rock uh, or something, surrounded by sharks? I don't remember. Uh, shit. No, that's um. God, damn it! It might be. I've seen that one. Um. Fuck. She got a cut, and she's trying. To, damn it! I forgot the name of it. I've seen so many ocean ones. I don't know why, but yeah. the ocean ones attract me. Like for uh, for instance, when Brendan and I first started dating, I think somewhere around that time, she had uh she had went with her friends and gone see Forty Seven Meters Down in the movie theater. And she had told me that was like one of the dumbest movies she's ever seen. <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, a while back, I was like, I was downloading stuff on Netflix to watch at home. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to watch this 47 meters down at some point. And I attempted to watch that actually Sunday. And there's there's a lot of parts in it. I it, I wish they would have done different. Um, I will say it looks great underwater. It, the way they've done it with the uh, whole diving suit. But then again, mm -hmm. for me, that's being like one of my fears. That's just like, yeah, I don't know. I guess movies like that, it's like kind of like standing on the edge of the water for me. Like I'm not in it, but I can see what's actually in it. Yeah. No, like there's, there, I mean, there's a lot of great ones that were done and there's a lot of terrible ones that are done. And mm. you know, like jaws is great. Like hell, one of the first horror movies I watched when I was a kid was Leviathan, which mm. I haven't seen it since then. I've been wanting to see it again. I'd like to watch it again. Because um, I only remember like a couple of scenes. But again, like I watched a lot of movies before the age of 10 that I probably shouldn't have looking in retrospect, you know. But like The mm -hmm. Abyss was another great, great, great uh, like nautical aquatic film. It's different. It's definitely like a bit of a change when you when you build a career in that environment and then you look back into it. Um, 
you know, it's it, it it's like what you know, and sometimes like my my wife doesn't like military movies to begin with. She likes them mm. even less if I'm watching them with her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I'll start picking apart the things that I know. It's like oh, I'm like, oh come on, dude, like that's such lazy mm. writing. <laughs> you know, or <laughs> no, that's not what you would fucking call that. That's not how you pronounce that. Ah. You know, like, you guys have gotten millions of dollars to make this movie, and you couldn't even get the fucking terminology right. But I'm sure there's people that are married to police officers and paramedics and doctors that probably, like... I can only imagine, like, someone who's an MD watching an episode of House and just verbally annihilating it with whoever's around, and everybody around them's like, oh my god, here he goes again. <laughs> I'm kind of like that with some nautical movies. Um, like, I when I first... Oh. Go ahead. No, no, no. Okay, uh, go ahead with what you're just saying, then I have something I want to input for you on that. All right, because I might, I may be answering that question for you if I think it's where you're going. I watched The Perfect Storm before I joined the Coast Guard, and then I watched it again after joining the Coast Guard and had a completely mm-hmm. different opinion of it. <laughs> it was like a complete one reversal. I absolutely refuse to see Battleship. Okay, all right. Because of how ridiculous the concept... When you start making a movie (laughs) that's based on a child's board game, no. Okay. What's next? Hungry Hungry Hippos? Like, And they already made Rock'em Sock'em Robots, for for crying out loud, you know? Okay, in my defense, um, (laughs) first of all, uh, back to the Rock'em Sock'em, that was a great movie. I I really... It was odd... (laughs) I have heard it was that. odd. It was odd uh, seeing it, but like it's real. We're talking about real steel, right? Mm-hmm. The one with that, uh, Hugh Jackman, I think. Yes, fucking love the story for that. Great. Now with Battleship, I- I'm gonna say this. I and this is something I have only recently in life owned up to. Apparently, I watch shitty movies. This is something <laughs> that I have been told by numerous friends and family of mine to the point where I'm like. Maybe I need to have intervention myself and realize that I do. Now, <laughs> I did not watch Battleship in theaters. A friend of mine made me and my uh, parents sit down and watch it when he came here one day. He's like, you guys got to see this. Fell in love with the movie. Really? Now, now there's a scene. I don't know if, um, I mean, it's it's been out for a while. You said you weren't going to see it. So, all right. They, they're in the, they're about to start. Uh, they're in the middle of, of combat. Um, with one of the alien ships yeah and they i don't remember they they mentioned the art of war and uh he he i don't remember how exactly does it to the beginning of it but in the middle of his little uh sequence he drops the anchor on the battleship and in the quick 380 the ship drags itself to the point where they blindside the enemy ship now (laughs) i watched that movie loved it owned it Took it to school uh, on a, to a trade day we had at a, um, at our trade school, and we had a substitute teacher, and he was like, someone want to bring a movie? We'll watch it. And I said, okay. So I brought the movie the next day. Yeah. We watched the movie, and he he was in the Navy. And so that part <laughs> comes up, and we're sitting beside each other, and he's like, you know, he, he just looks at me and said, there's no way this in hell this ever happened. He's like, he's, you know, he laughs. He's like, I'm glad this is a movie because th- that yeah. is no way that is not work that fast. He's like, if this, if they were still going on timeline, the anchor would still be dropping. <laughs> Yeah, well, because each like the amount of chain that are that's kept on those ships is ridiculously long. Like there's so mm. whatever seven times nine is because I'm not mathematically inclined. You know, is that it's, <laughs> like there's like four hundred feet of chain 
that gets dropped mm. on an anchor that's like several tons. And if you let that thing go to its end, it'll literally, because the end of that chain is literally just attached to a piece of metal welded in the bow of the ship. So you put that under too much, that's going to end up just either pulling right out so then the chain whips out like a really pissed off snake or it'll pull some of the ship with it and just like pluck a hole like you pull like the old school uh, clawfoot bathtub drains where you have like the chain mm-hmm. and the little stopper. It would literally do that to the ship except water would be coming in from underneath as opposed to going out of drain. It would be horrendously bad and you would you would fuck up a ship real hard by doing something like that. But those old battleships, they didn't go fast. They don't think they would go fast enough. I think maybe they did like 25 miles an hour. (laughs) Gotta say, they they did pretty good with the style of that, but now that whenever I see that part in the movie, it's always like, man, that kind of ruins my imagination. I don't know what that. But it 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 makes it look good. I'll give I'll give them that much. Yeah, like I always like I've become like super critical of movies, um, you know, especially movies that pertain to anything that I've got any even the roughest idea of an element of expertise in. Or I don't even say mm-hmm. expertise, but a, a, just a level of like knowledge and experience at something. So I'm always hesitant to watch like storm movies or various military movies um, and, and things of that nature. Like that's why I was I was really nervous when they made the finest hours because I had read the book and I knew it was based on true events, and I thought mm-hmm. it would be I would thought the story would make a great film, but I was nervous because it was made by Disney, and I don't know how feel good they were gonna do with it and stuff like that. But it ended up being really true to the books and and they did they did their due diligence and did their research with it, which was pretty cool. So if you like if you like water movies and movies that deal with like disaster and the ocean and stuff like that, definitely check out the finest hours. It was it's about a Coast Guard rescue in the early 1950s off of Cape Cod during a uh, a, a blizzard that blew through and broke a ship in half. Now just one more movie. Um, I now I've never se- I've never seen all of it. I've seen bits and pieces. Um, all right. So well, first of all, I'll give a tiny background. My stepfather was in the Navy. So okay. uh, he loves he loves um, most uh, most Navy movies. I think um, the last movie I seen to get him really excited was uh, fuck what was it? Um, it was the movie they did with real U.S. Navy SEALs. Uh, oh, was it Zero it. Dark Thirty? No, 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 no. It was before that. Um, it wasn't. I don't. Th- I think it was. It wasn't. I think it was based on a real real mission. Um, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it. But when they come on that boat about. with that with that gun, uh, with I the haven't seen at the beginning it. of it. Oh. I have not seen that movie, dude. I've never seen my stepfather get out of the chair and shout so loud until I come around with that gun. He was like, <laughs> "Yes, that's how they fucking do it." There we go. <laughs> um, God damn it! I wish I could remember that movie. But that was such a fucking good movie. And the ending of that, man. Um, I'm not sure anyone's really proud of the Guardian except maybe Ashton Kutcher and Kevin Costner. Uh, <laughs> there's just there, there's a lot of they took a lot of uh, artistic liberty with it, especially considering mm-hmm. that it it was it was it was a completely fantastical story. It wasn't based on any kind of like true events or anything like that. It was pure fiction. Um, I know for like 
the training sequences for the sw- for the rescue swimmers, I knew that was pretty on point because a couple of the guys in uniform in those training scenes were actual instructors for the aviation survival technician school down in Elizabeth City. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know some of that was on point. A lot of the story aspects, not so much. Like, there's no way, like, Kevin Costner's character, he's like a senior chief, I think. Um, mm-hmm. That guy ain't swimming. <laughs> it, at that age, the the thing that we always pick apart with it is that there's no way that a senior chief is going to become that friendly with a uh, essentially a non-rate. So you like you talk about like the pay grade difference, you know, between you know an E8 and essentially an E3. So there's there's five pay grades of difference there, military wise. So it'd be like a general. You know, having a good relationship with like an a uh, like a first or second lieutenant in the army or something like that. It, it's just it's not going to happen. You know, not in most cases at least. And again, a senior chief is not going to be a swimmer at an air station. He's going to be an administrator at headquarters because the aviation community for the Coast Guard is so freaking small that there's only like a dozen air stations in the entire Coast Guard. So guys get stationed in the same place multiple times over. But the, the, mm-hmm. the funniest thing is that a senior chief is not going to be jumping out of a helicopter in, you know, 25-foot seas to do a rescue. You know, he's just, he's not going to do it. But aside from <laughs> that, there's not too much else I can say on it because the, there's like three major operational communities within the Coast Guard. You've got the aviation side, which is all your helicopters and your airplanes and your all your rescue swimmers that everybody knows so much about. You've got your small boat community, which is where I'm at right now, which operates the, mm-hmm. the little guys out of shore stations. And then you've got the cutters, which are all the ships that go out to sea for weeks, if not months at a time. So I've never really spent that much time in the aviation side of it just because my job specialty has nothing to do with that 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 whole climate and that whole uh, environment is the word I'm looking for. Okay. Um, all right. So, and I got one more thing cause I know we got to kind of wrap it up soon, but, uh, uh, Disney plus drops tomorrow. Are you, you getting on? Or are you going to, you're going to watch the train? Uh, uh, we're, uh, see, it's, it's actually been a, uh, a topic of discussion here at the asylum is whether or not, <laughs> Is whether or not we're gonna we're gonna jump on that just because like so many of our favorite IPs are gonna be on there and then all the new stuff that they're coming out with on there and we're like, uh, preach Mandalorian. I've been like yeah, pounding Brendan right? in the last twenty four hours about how excited I am for Mandalorian to come out, uh, dude. I've got I've got the Mandalorian skull tattoo on my left shoulder. Like <laughs> you're preaching to the choir, man. Uh, That's awesome. I think because we have Hulu, there's like an extension for it, or you can like mm-hmm. for you spend like an extra like five bucks a month on your Hulu subscription, you can get the Disney Plus add-on for it, as opposed to going to the dedicated, um, kind of like how they do like Showtime and Cinemax and you know how Amazon mm-hmm. has um, what do you call it? Like Amazon's got a thing with HBO and you know they've got the thing with like Comedy Central and stuff like that. So I think we might be looking into doing that. As opposed to dropping another like fifteen twenty bucks a month on Disney. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I think we're, uh, I plan on doing the uh, 
the Hulu and ESPN bundle, but like I don't give two shits about ESPN. So like I want Hulu though, um, because I've yeah. been missing out on Hulu for a while because I. Uh, I really liked what they're doing with the Runaways and what they're about to start doing with some of the what little Marvel shows they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just the ESPN. Like, can I only can I not just pay for just Hulu, please? Yeah, but, that's, that's but weird. I, but if if I'm getting you know all these great shows, you know, and I'm a big Marvel fan, so you know I'm not even going to like touch on you know like She Hulk and Moon Knight and uh, you know all the others, Loki and all the others we can get, but like. The Mandalorian and um, you know the fucking uh, the Hero Project for Marvel and fucking I mean they're just oh those man, rumors I about am... an Obi Wan series too yeah well I think it's like confirmed now now don't quote me on this but I'm pretty sure it's confirmed <laughs> like he even went on like an interview recently and said that like they had originally talked about doing a movie I think and like now they're for sure like 100 percent gonna I think they confirmed it at the last D23. Um, the oh. one they just had this year. I, I'm pretty sure they brought him on stage. Um, if not, then I guess you listeners can have a shitty day then when I made that up, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's true. Um, that they, they brought him on and he even like talked about, yeah, I'm coming. I'll have my own show. And and if you uh, and McGregor just said this, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know what? I'm going to fact check myself right now. Uh, <laughs> that's a good idea. I'm pretty sure he came on D23. If it, if it um, was you and McGregor, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going for it if that's the case. Cause no. Yeah. Okay. Woo. I was right. All right. Yeah. Uh, Obi Wan series stage. Re- re- yeah. Reveal with Ian McGregor at the D23 2019. Hey. Yeah. And there's you know it's him on stage stuff. Okay. I was right. Awesome. Thank God. Ah. Ah. All right. So I'm gonna have ah. to rethink the rethink my uh, my veto on. Uh, adding anything else to our monthly budget <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I am um it's uh, it, it's something um you know it's i can get while like you know hulu and hbo and uh fucking cbn or whatever the fuck to call with the peacock they're scrambling to get their <laughs> shit ready because they are like you know we have friends and uh and family who have you know who have kids and stuff and like they're already like i've heard so many conversations about yeah, we're gonna cancel our cable because you know Disney Plus has stuff we like, and you know, and all we really need is the, the fucking Disney shows for our kids anyway. So, you yeah. know, we're just gonna cancel cable and just uh, keep the internet, and so they could just have that, and then we can just watch Netflix and stuff and Disney Plus and just be happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's what we've been doing here for a couple of years now is that we just had dedicated internet, and that's it. You know, so we'll just, you know, but we've we've tacked on like Hulu and Netflix, and we've got Amazon Prime. Um, and we we ended up boosting up our Hulu where you, it's like it's like forty or fifty bucks a month for Hulu, but it gives you like live TV and like a like a shitload of like television channels. So we haven't had cable in forever, and I'm happy with that because cable's got way mm-hmm. too much bullshit for way too much money. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of shit you don't even need. Like I don't. I'm never gonna watch Lifetime. Why the fuck am I paying an extra for Lifetime? Yeah. Yeah, well, my, <laughs> dude, my personal favorite was I reported to the ship, and you know, so our ships have to have satellite cable because obviously for obvious reasons, right? But I'm sitting on duty one of the first days I'm on there, and I hadn't messed with satellite TV in probably eight years prior. So I'm like flipping through mm-hmm. the channels on duty because I'm the only guy awake on the boat, and I'm like flipping through waiting for my uh, waiting for my dinner to cook, and I look down, and there, and on Direct TV, there's like 
15 channels just for shark infomercials. I'm like, <laughs> what in the actual fuck do you need 15 infomercial channels for shark vacuum cleaners? <laughs> and it was like that for like an entire block because you know how like with um with with some like cable or or providers like the the whole eight hundreds mm-hmm. are all like music stations where it's just like radio. They have like a whole block of nothing but inf- it's like a hundred fucking infomercial channels for like five different products. It was insane, and I'm like, people are paying a hundred and fifty dollars a month for this. That is abject lunacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just one of those things, man. You know, it, it's the streaming's about to shake up everybody. So yeah, um, you know, and you know, like fucking Charter and uh, my stepdad's been working for Charter ever since like I can fucking remember. Like, huh. like I mean, he's like a manager at some point there. Like, I mm-hmm. don't even get me. Like, he does a lot of shit with Charter, and you know, my mom just like called me the other day. I was like, hey, so. Uh, me. We're about to switch to charter cell phones. <laughs> we're about to have to do that because it's stuff. It's oh, like no. it's funny just hearing <laughs> the idea that like charter now they're like you know, they're like well we might as well find something else to try to get into. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen that. What was it? There was something. There was something that was starting to get into cell phone service. I, it, was, it blew my mind what it was. I can't remember who it is though. I think it might have been like Cox Cable because Cox is one of the big cable providers in the Northeast. Hmm. It's like a Cox think, and Comcast uh, thing. I think Google's about to get into it too, or it may have already been to. I think I remember seeing something about their plans online. Oh, they're already talking about Google Fiber, where they're going to have their own internet service. Well, see, they've been talking. I know this like goes back sometimes. I thought that you know there was a thing they were talking about like when we were in high school, and then like I didn't hear from or hear about it for a long time until like uh, sometime this year. I heard that you know places are actually having Google fiber and i was like that's real i thought it was something they were just fucking uh yeah. fucking just press speaking about with. yeah yeah we won't get into uh, it because all the all the cable providers the cable providers specifically in the northeast mm-hmm. it's it's such a fucking racket and it's i mean it's probably down there in the southeast as well but for for straight up like cable service and cable internet there's literally two providers and they've already worked out a plan on who's available where so they're almost like the same fucking company. So there's like zero competition for cable unless you do Verizon, Fios. Yeah, it's uh, uh, discussion topic for a uh, for a different podcast probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, so so thank you, Mike, for sitting down and and talking today. And I'm I'm very excited to see you know, where you go with Boston Harbor and, and, uh, you know, Asylum 94 and, and, and what comes out and, you know, and, and especially with Wander, uh, which everyone, you know, Wander will come out, uh, early 2020, no specific, uh, release window yet. Were we just talking just early 2020, just early 2020, um, because Amy's taking the lead on the writing and the, and, and that aspect. And we're just right in, we're right now we're waiting for audio to come in and you know, I'll probably be more or less the head of production for it because I'm the only person that's actually done that side of it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, you know, putting all the audio together and adding sound effects and all that other stuff. Um, but I, you know, boots going to be my apprentice on that and that's Amy's husband. Um, so he's going to start learning the production process. So, once, uh, just stay tuned to the asylum and boss and horror and, excuse me, and uh, Wander Feeds 
because our uh, Twitter feeds because that's where the info is going to come out on trailers and release dates and casting decisions and stuff like that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, you know, listeners, you can find Boston Harbor Horror on pretty much like every uh, <laughs> podcast service. <laughs> I could I could fully speak, you know, Spotify and Pocket Cast for sure, and uh, you know, Apple Podcasts. Wherever, wherever you get your podcast, look for yep, Boston I've, Harbor Horror. I've tried to get it out there in as many platforms as possible. Um, you know, we're on. I know we're on Himalaya, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Podbean, Podchaser. Uh, although I did hear that Podchaser lags a little bit when it comes to uh, to shows hosted on Libsyn. Um, what else is there? I can't even think of that. I can't. Even, I've got. Like, I used to have like a huge list because I can't remember. I just try. I try to push them out to as many as I can. What I did do, and I actually did this tonight, was I, uh, I severed the feed to SoundCloud because I found unless you have a paid SoundCloud account, they limit you to three hours of audio to upload through them, and then they cut you off until you uh, until you pay for a pro service. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Podbean that, does like, it too. I think. Do they? Okay, well, I haven't, I don't, yeah. whatever it is with Podbean, I haven't reached their limit yet, whatever that is. But. <laughs> so, unfortunately, SoundCloud listeners, my deepest apologies, but you know what? if you want to continue listening to Boston Horror, uh, you can go to our Libsyn page, or you can utilize one of the other 5,000 podcatchers that are out there. I'm sure you'll find us on one of them, that's for sure. And make sure you follow them on Twitter at Boston Harbor Horror. Uh, Asylum 94 Productions, WonderPod, and Mike himself, the Filthy Coasty. Filthy Coasty with a one instead of an I in filthy, yeah. All right, I got to ask just one thing. What? <laughs> what, what is that? I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. So, uh, again, with the whole being an outlier in many, many ways, um, I was dating this girl up in Maine who was a huge Mushroom Head fan. And I'm not sure. I don't know if you've heard of the band Mushroom Head from Ohio. They're kind of like a. Uh, I uh, think I, I think I have. Aren't they like very fucking heavy? Uh, yeah, they're like a, a combination like new metal, heavy metal band. Uh, mm-hmm. They had like two lead singers. Was kind of like their 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 shtick, where they had one guy that was very melodic and another guy that was kind of like you know gravelly metal. Um, it was like a nine piece setup. They were they've been compared a lot to Slipknot, but you know and. People have actually tried to like make them seem like they were adversaries at some point, um, when that was never the case, because uh, they just sprouted up at different times. And so they do like the masks and like the in the the elaborate theatrics for the shows. Um, so they do like masks and face paint. So I'm like, hell yeah! Back in the you know back then, we're talking like 15 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. I was also unfortunately a very big insane clown posse fan. So the concept of painting my face to go to a show was not outside, you know, norm for me. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get decked out for this show. So I, you know, I threw on like a, a black wife beater and back and their stage, or not their stage, but their uh, the costumes that they would wear for shows was uh, a lot of urban camo, and then most of the guys had masks, and then the lead singers did face paint. So I decided to. I got myself some fatigues, some urban camo pants, and I got mm-hmm. a black be- uh, black wife beater, and I painted my face up like uh, my girlfriend at the time's favorite uh, favorite of the two singers, Waylon. 
uh, and showed up there. And we like, you know, I had been fully immersed in everything Mushroom had being with this chick. And uh, one of the things that they said in their volume one is they love it when their fans show up to their shows all decked out wearing like face paint and masks and stuff like that. So I'm like, cool, I'll do the same thing because I'm going to get to meet some of the people in the band because one of my girlfriend's friends was friends with the band. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I show up. I'm legit. And here's the kicker. The show is at a place called Mark's Show Place in Bedford, New Hampshire. It's closed now, but it was a rock club that was connected to a strip club. So you had Mark's show place, which was one half of the building, and Mark's rock place, which was the other side of the building. So you had strippers on one side and metal shows on the other. So I show up there with a fucking urban bandana on, an urban camo bandana, pants, face painted black with a white hummingbird cross thing in the middle of my face. I'm the only Mm -hmm. dude there with face paint on. Legitimately, the only one until MRH took the stand or took the stage, the only guy with face paint on. And I'm like, all right, this feels really fucking awkward. And But my girlfriend got a kick out of it. She's like, oh, you're like my little filthy coastie. Because the name of Mushroom Head's uh, production company at the time was called These Filthy Hands. And mm-hmm. with all of their stage names, they would change out some of the letters with numbers. So the I got, you know, a one was used for an I a whole bunch of times. So I kind of took that and ran with it, and that became like my email address, and then my Twitter handle, and you know I've got to come up with a little bit more, uh, what you call it, uh, family friendly, uh, personal email address for professional correspondence, especially if I'm going to be entering the private sector in a year. You know I don't want to be like, okay, monster.com. I'd like to be you know a manager at this business. Please reach me at filthycoasty at gmail.com or Boston Horror. Yeah, most employers are probably looking at me like, eh, we don't want this guy working here. Mm. So, yeah, but that's that's the story of Filthy Coasty. I did luck out because one other dude did show up with face paint on, and I'm a small dude. I'm like, I'm five foot five, five foot six, and about 165 mm. pounds. So I'm like this one little dude with face paint on feeling like this retard at this show, and then this <laughs> other dude walks in with face paint on, and he's got like the the his whole face is painted black with the white X face markings of their symbol, except this dude's like this six foot four, three hundred ninety five pounds, bald head, giant beard. He sees me and he's just like, yeah, gives me like a huge <laughs> high five because we're the only dudes with face paint there. And I was like, all right, I don't feel as bad now. <laughs> That's awesome. Well. Seriously, again, uh, thank you, Mike, for you know for talking, and uh, you know everyone follow those links, follow Asylum ninety four, find Boston Harbor, check it out, listen to it, uh, ignore the spoilers I may or may not have talked about earlier, and you know just be ready for when Wonder, <laughs> and just be ready for when Wonder Pod drops uh, next year. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Vince. I really appreciate it. I mean, this is a really cool experience, and. Uh... You know, I recommend it to anybody else who wants to, uh, you know, just sit down and, and shoot the shit with a fellow podcaster and uh, and go back and forth. This was a lot of fun, man, and I appreciate it. I really do. Boston Harbor Horror is about a Coast Guard member who discovers an ancient artifact during a rescue on one of the many islands located deep in Boston Harbor. His subsequent research into that artifact leads him down a dark path that will test his sanity, his relationships, the very reality in which he resides. Boston Harbor Horror is an Asylum 94 production. 
You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Boston HBR Horror and Asylum 94 PROD. Like us on Facebook at Boston Harbor Horror and Asylum 94. Follow us on Instagram at Boston Harbor Horror and Asylum 94.